Nothing's off limits with this duo. It's father and daughter, Don and Cher. And join the club if you're a chatter mouth. Hey y'all, it's Cher and Don. And welcome back to the Shattermouth Podcast. So today we have a very special guest, probably my favorite guest of the season is here. <laughs> My husband, a.k.a. Dr. Jared Gottman in the house. Oh, I'm so excited to have you, Jared. You know, you're like, graduated plastic surgery. You're a plastic surgeon now. And I'm so excited. I have so many questions. And I want to be a first patient. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for allowing me to finally make the cut. It took, uh, what is this, like third season before I was finally allowed on? Only the second season, but we are many episodes down the line <laughs> but you're here and i'm so happy so thank you for joining happy to be here thank you guys so much i love seeing your intro i've never seen that before in person you guys have a very well coordinated <laughs> yeah. you're right out i was saying it i saw you at the corner of my eye like almost laughing and i was like oh no <laughs> um so funny so yes my mom is like super so excited that you're excited. plastic you i don't know, know how you like <laughs> I'm just really excited. I have a list of things, you know, how to stay young and what to do to get young. You, aren't you doing it all already? <laughs> Never enough. Are you gonna Are you gonna listen to me anyway? No matter what I say. <laughs> I'll probably question and take everything yes. apart. Typical. So it's just Typical. like normal day then. <laughs> I know she like wants to be your first patient. Well, I mean, you are, had many patients. Your first family patient, excuse right, me. Right. Um, but I, I don't know if you would work on her. Would you work on? Would on you this work lighting? on family? I don't know. Something small. I think I would. Like if it's a little like mole or something like that, or maybe even Botox or fillers, I would mm -hmm. do. But I don't know. I don't think a big surgery is really a good idea to do on family, especially not in the beginning, because you know. I, if it's my, have a colleague do it, then maybe I'll be mad at them if, if it doesn't come out right. But if, if it doesn't come out right and I did it, then I'm just going to be mad at myself for the, every time I see you for the next like 30 <laughs> or she'll years. Be mad at you. Or then you'll be mad, be mad at me at every holiday. Every time we go to a Passover dinner, you'll, I'll need to do a follow up and <laughs> with some, and bring some scar cream That's or so something funny. like that. I know. I don't know how I'd feel about you looking at my mom's boobs. I mean, that wouldn't fly, right? I don't think that's... Would you do my boobs? Oh my God, stop. For, I mean, besides the fact that you're my mother-in-law, boobs at this point are are, are boobs to me. There's yeah. We've seen so many, you know, and throughout all the years, but... It's so funny. Jared, I remember when, we, when I first became a plastic surgeon, like you were first going through it, and I was like, Oh, he's gonna have to look at other girls' boobs. This is no, do you remember that? Yeah, you I got like, really mad at me when you realized that yeah. what it meant for me to go through this residency. Yeah, yeah. He was at first when he was going through it. I was like, oh my gosh, he's gonna have like good-looking girls, like just like lifting. Like that's kind of like every guy's dream job. Kind of. I know you don't but, look well, at boobs like that anymore. Yeah, well, you don't look at it, but like. For a young boy would think that, you know what I mean? Right, but, but you I don't, don't look think at it he like sees that. it he like does that. Not it's anymore. So it's just weird, right? It's right. Now it's more, there's so <laughs> many, it's not just like, you know, sometimes you see a nice pair of boobs and you're just like, nice. But, <laughs> but there is like a, but there's so much more technical right. aspects that go into it right. nowadays. And like now I feel like I appreciate boobs so much more than I used to even because like now I know what it takes to, to really make nice surgical boobs. So, so when, interesting. Let me ask you, when you look at someone, do you right away 
zone into their flaws and how you can change certain mm-hmm. things on a person? Immediately. Do you actually? Interesting. Immediately. Really? It's, you can't help it because it's like. Oh, no. It, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's, I know. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like where if. If uh, a car mechanic sees a car, they immediately see what's wrong with the car. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are trained to look at pathology, to look at what's wrong, and it's there's nothing, there's nobody has anything wrong with them, especially in the aesthetic part of plastic surgery. But um, there are like ideal mis- aesthetic appearances and measurements and angles and relationships that you that you know mm. we are trained to have and now those have biases of course but when you see things that deviate from that especially if it's very much so deviates from that then it's very noticeable so, so interesting. interesting so you look at people differently than the regular joe the joe smith or the joe you know joe i think if somebody has like a really messed up nose or if somebody has like a very like odd breast like asymmetry i think the normal layman person would look at it and be like oh something doesn't look right with that right like I, right you mm-hmm. guys notice yeah, that too right, right. but only like now i just have am able to hone in much more so on yeah. you know the actual pathology of what is the problem most likely. And then, then, uh, you know, then you go into what would I do to fix that, which is the fun part of it, you know? Right. But I learned a long time ago, (laughs) you never tell people what's wrong with them. If somebody, even if they ask, because they don't actually want to know, they don't want to know and you get into a lot of trouble. So I never say anything. But do you like sometimes want to bite your tongue? Oh, I just want to that that nose just want to fix that ear whatever it is i think that um you know we all it's all our own life and i the way i look at it is i tell people look this is your body it's not my body this is your body if you want this if this bothers you and you want this change uh you know this is what i can do to help you but i never try and push surgery onto anybody especially for cosmetic surgery and you know that is very unethical and you open up a big can of worms and you put yourself at risk for a very unhappy patient relationship if you do that. So patients come in and, uh, you know, I say, what, what are you here for? What bothers you? Even if somebody comes in and I'm like, you probably need a facelift like immediately, but <laughs> right. if they're here to talk about their breasts, then then I don't I don't even mention the face. I don't talk about That's it. It's good because right. if you point something out to them, they might not have even realized it. All of a sudden, because you said it, they respect you as a plastic surgeon. They're gonna start being like, oh my gosh, my face. I need to, you know, I need that. So um, your words matter a lot now. But Very much so. what's so wonderful about you, Jared, is you're going to build like other women and other men, give them such more self-esteem more because confidence. I and more confidence because when you know when you feel you look good, you feel good, and it, that really like blossoms and shows, and you're going to have that on mm-hmm. give that to so many more people out there and it's so wonderful you know i think a lot of people don't realize how much a plastic surgeon does like yes there's the aesthetic side of things and that's when i think of plastic surgery my mind always went to that side but you do so much more and i've seen you grow and do all these amazing surgeries but like there's so much that you guys do i mean it's crazy crazy. i'll have a day during during residency especially where i would operate on somebody's scalp 
and then I would operate on somebody's hand, and then I would operate on somebody's breast, and then I, I would operate on somebody's like knee area, mm-hmm. and you would operate on, or their butt area, and it would be a different part of the body. Plastic surgeons operate on all parts of the body. We're the last real general surgeons out there, um, and it's, it's very interesting, and it, it, the nice thing about it is that it's never boring because okay. there's so much variety you can do. It is cool. It is just yeah, it's amazing. amazing. I mean, even to help like women, which is so prevalent today, breast cancer, mm-hmm. and um, they lose their breasts and they feel less of a woman. Some some women do, and you're able to create this breast and, and make them feel whole again is just like a wonderful thing that you're doing. And that, and you guys both know this. That that's originally what got me into this field. Is you know when when my when Amy, my mom. Uh, had breast cancer and she went through breast reconstruction and her experience with regaining her breasts um, through surgery she had implants afterwards uh, that was the big catalyst that made me look at the plastic surgery when I was in medical school and ultimately what got me to this point Um, so I agree like that's helping breast reconstruction patients is some of the most rewarding work you can do yes That is amazing. And it's so fabulous, all the different things that you can do, though, because it's not just the aesthetic field. Like, um, now you're going to be specializing a lot doing hand. And can you tell maybe our listeners, and my mom as well, she doesn't really know as much about what you're going to be doing. And so plastic things. surgeons are not just plastic surgeons. When you think about plastic surgery, you think about aesthetic surgery, facelifts right. and, and breast implants and, and tummy tucks and so things true. like that. But we also are reconstructive surgeons. So somebody has cancer or, or trauma to uh, one part of their body, we try and, and regain uh, their quality of life. Right. So maybe somebody's in a really bad car accident. And they have like their bones sticking through their leg or like a tree trunk went through their their leg. And like now they have a huge hole in their leg and the orthopedic surgeons will make will fix the bones. But now they have like this huge problem where they're missing muscle and they're missing skin and all this stuff that you guys would find disgusting if I showed you pictures <laughs> of it. But our job is to basically patch them up and make them look normal again and try and not only regain like the form, which is like how they look, but also improve the function and get them functioning back as close to back to normal as we can. Wow. Where you know, we're not perfect, nothing, you know, it'll never be as good as somebody who hadn't had the injury, but we try our best. And then like you said, Cher, I'm doing an extra year in hand surgery, which is very intricate, trying to help people who have hurt their hands or people who have congenital problems from from young age or degenerative problems like arthritis as they get older. And I'm going to do an extra year trying to uh, learn more and specialize in that. Um, But I don't think that's all I want to do because, you know, like I said, I love doing breast reconstruction. I love everything about plastic surgery and helping people as much as I can. Right. So but cool. hand surgery is so intricate because there's so many different... Right. If you can do that, you can you do You can do, do anything mm-hmm. because it's so intricate. And, you know, people hurt their hands all the time with lawnmowers and everybody's working with their hands and to be able to do that too wow you know Mm -hmm. because it's so intricate yeah hands are basically how we interact with the world around us we think of how much you do that you take for granted just by using your hands and you don't realize it until you 
can't do it anymore. So true. And I feel like I haven't met a person who hasn't hurt their hand at some point in their life, either as a kid. You know, right. the, you know, every time I tell somebody I'm going into hand surgery, they say, oh, look at this scar that I had. Or like, <laughs> I had to have this surgery. Or, or they say, oh, doc, I got this problem. Can you help me? Like, right. like, they start asking me all sorts of questions. So it's definitely a much needed mm -hmm. field. Um, and uh, you can do a lot for people. So that's what so drew me to it. It's just wonderful. Yeah, you're so cool. Right. I have such a cool husband. I have <laughs> so uh, But, you know, we're doing this year in Miami, and, like, I don't know if she even realizes, but everyone, so many women in Miami have big butts. Like, they all, everything's, like, the butts. In New York, I didn't notice it that much. I feel it's, like, so funny I could talk to you about this stuff because you're a plastic surgeon and you get it. Usually I would just tell you this stuff. But right. it's so interesting how butts are so in style right now. Like, have you noticed that? Uh, you know, <laughs> I cannot lie. It's true that in Miami, the look is a little bit different. It's so um, South Florida has become the, the, the butt. butt capital of the world, of the <laughs> wow, U.S. at least. Wow. Um, and it's, it's, it's a big thing. It's a big thing. It's so funny. In her day, like, everyone liked the flat butt. Like, she yes. still, like, can't get over having a bigger butt. I'm like, yeah, mom, like, show off your butt. It's it. okay. And she's and like, like, no. no. She's like, no, like, make it look flatter. Yeah. Like, no. It's just, it's unbelievable how it, it is now. Yeah. So what, what is, like, but what is it? Butt injections? No, people Brazilian are getting Brazilian butt lifts. So, what is it? So okay. So first of all, before I get started, I just <laughs> want to say I want to do a little disclaimer. Okay. This is not medical advice that I'm giving. I mm -hmm. cannot give you medical advice. If you have any questions about anything that we talk about, I would recommend that you find your own plastic surgeon and speak to them about this. I cannot give you any medical advice to this podcast. So don't take anything I say as medical <laughs> advice. Okay. Gosh, just, he's so professional. Just wanted to get. Just wanted to say that starting out. <laughs> Just wanted to say, but um, what a Brazilian butt lift is, what you say, honey, is actually called, it's gluteal fat grafting. So what that means wow. is you take liposuction equipment and you harvest fat. You take it typically from the abdomen and the flanks, sometimes also from the thighs and the back as well. And Excuse then, me, what happens if you don't have fat? <laughs> then you can't have their then you can't have their procedure because oh. it because so gain weight a little before <laughs> it doesn't really work you can't really gain that much weight in a short period of time oh. um, but if you almost everyone has some fat and plastic surgeons are very good at finding the fat when we need to <laughs> like, oh. but I will say that for a Brazilian butt lift you do need quite a bit of fat a lot more than we use for like say we do oh. fat grafting to the breast you need a lot more fat than something like that and a lot lot more than fat grafting to the face especially um, so you take all this fat from all this all the different parts of the body wherever you can get it right. you spin it down and separate it from like the fluid and like whatever little blood cells are there right. and you basically try and purify the fat so you're only left with the fat and then you inject it into the butt to try and help lift and and augment or increase the volume of the butt. So it's a double whammy. You decrease the size of the, the waist and really snatch that, that waist, which oh. all the young girls like nowadays. Mm -hmm. But you're also increasing the volume of the butt area, the gluteal area, and that kind of changes the, a woman's shape from being more kind of like straight down to being more of like that hourglass shape that a lot of women are going for. And like you said, share. Big butts are in, and a lot of women are getting Brazilian butt lifts. They're getting gluteal fat grafting. It's very common. A lot of uh, plastic surgeons and surgeons in Miami are doing it, and that is all they do, some people. Wow. 
Some people will do three, four, five of these a day, and that's all they'll do. But let me ask you something. When you're lifting the, are you lifting, like, do you actually, like, Make incisions underneath, like the like each. for sagging butts. Yeah, in? to for sagging and lift it, and then put the the fat in it. So it de- it really it depends. Is? So you have to look at somebody and see what's what's the quality of their skin. Are they just like a little bit deflated and they just need some more volume, or is it somebody who maybe lost a lot of weight? Maybe they were very large before and they had a really good diet and exercise program, or they had bariatric surgery, like a. Right. Um, uh, a gastric bypass, something right. like that, and they got a lot smaller. A patient like that who who did have bariatric surgery, had a bypass, will probably have a lot of excess skin that you may need to lift with some sort of skin incision. But otherwise, an, a normal person who didn't have um, a massive weight loss type of situation might just need some fat put in, and that'll help increase the volume and therefore decrease the sagging of the skin because skin sags when you lose volume, right? Because right. it's like you take air out of the balloon and now the balloon is deflated. So by putting fat in there, you can help increase the size and help in a lot of ways fix the sagging skin just by doing that. So you make tiny little incisions, um, just enough to get a a cannula in, which is like a long, um, looks almost like a stick, but it's made of metal. And we, you put the fat in to the butt area um, and the artistry and what takes requires a good plastic surgeon is knowing you know how to shape someone's butt and where to put the fat and how to how much to put and how to do it symmetrically and where to plan your incisions and a lot of things like that that go into it um, that that it makes it somewhat you know it's one of those things that's not super hard to do almost any plastic surgeon can do liposuction but may sometimes be hard to do well Something. So interesting. But so it, you wouldn't get any cellulite from that? Like, because it's like fat you're putting in. So does that create a lot of cellulite in the butt? So the thing about fat grafting in general is that at least 50% of the fat that you put in goes away. I was just going to ask you that. <laughs> so then how can you... So knowing that only 50% will will actually work on, on, the, on the patient, isn't it hard to like actually shape it because you're shaping it thinking all this fat's going to last, but only 50% and it might not be even on one side oh. versus the other. Well, that's part of the, the planning that goes into it. You have to always try and put more and therefore we plastic surgeons put a lot of fat in somebody's butt because you know that a lot of it's going to go away. And you can't really predict how it's going to change over time. You just hope that as much of it stays as possible. Wow, it's so interesting. So interesting. And what about the difference between that and some people will do actual injections, right? Not fat. They'll use like filler. Yeah, so there is other things that some people can inject into their butt. Some products that have been used are things like Sculptra or some people will use radius which which is a type of filler or even some of the hyaluronic acid fillers like mm-hmm. voluma and things like that um you need a lot if of that's that, an in-office procedure it, yeah. you know it doesn't need it's not technically not surgery whereas a brazilian butt lift is mm-hmm. surgery you need a lot it's very expensive and right. probably doesn't get you as much bang for your buck if you really are looking for a a mm-hmm. big thing. You'll see a lot of non-plastic surgeons offer that to patients because they can't really do the surgery. Mm-hmm. They're not really um, right. able to do surgery and go to an operating room. So it uh, can be done, probably not as uh, effective. Now, how safe is the, are these procedures? So great question. 
the pro the thing of the thing is here's the thing okay and what a lot of people don't realize is that a brazilian butt lift is actually one of the most dangerous procedures that plastic surgeons do really wow. it's just a tissue with it, and like everyone's doing it i feel it, like everyone's doing it and you, you know for as many people that are getting the surgery is not as many people are talking about the risk um, it's actually a very hot topic in Florida right now. And um, to understand uh, the what's going on, I have to kind of tell you about what the risk is. So as of any other procedure, surgical risk, there's bleeding, there's contour deformities, like, you know, asymmetry, like you just mm -hmm. said. But the thing is with Brazilian butt lifts especially is that when you put fat into the butt, if you accidentally put fat into the muscle of the butt, like the gluteus muscles, the gluteus maximus specifically mm -hmm. because it's the most superficial muscle that sits right below the fatty layer and the skin mm -hmm. layer, yeah. there's a risk that it goes into the veins of the uh, that drain the butt muscles, the gluteal vein, and it can travel, the fat globules can travel from the vein of the, of the butt up to your lungs and block the, your ability to basically... Uh, exchange blood with gases and wow. basically give you an embolism, almost oh like a pulmonary God. embolism, but it's called a fat embolism. And those are potentially deadly complications. Um, and the death rate as of 2018, there was, it was the a bunch of plastic surgeons got together from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons um, and, and through surveys that were sent out and through um, looking at the, the mortality rates were, estimated to be about one in 3,000 people oh will gosh. die from a Brazilian butt lift due to a fat embolism. Oh, wow. So uh, really, in terms of... And that can happen to anyone, right? So in, in terms of outpatient surgical procedures that plastic surgeons do, that's probably one of the riskiest procedures that are done. So that's a, that set off a bunch of red flags, right? So in about 2017, um, a bunch of plastic surgeons that are aesthetic plastic surgeons but academically focused in what's called the Aesthetic Society for Education and Research Foundation got together and they looked, sent out a bunch of surveys and looked at, okay, why, why is this happening? Right. And they found that the, the risk of this happening are increased when you put the cannula to inject the fat below what's called the subcutaneous plane, which is the plane where your fat normally sits, and below that into the muscle. So if you are injecting fat into the muscle, it's much more likely to happen. If you point the cannula down towards the muscle, it's much more likely to happen. And if you are using a smaller cannula, it's much more likely to happen. So their recommendations were to only uh, put the the fat in the subcutaneous plane, use bigger cannulas, and never point the cannula, the cannula down. The Florida Board of Medicine in, in 2019 took those recommendations and they basically mandated that no plastic surgeons performing Brazilian butt lifts were able to inject fat into the muscle. You have to inject fat only into the subcutaneous plane. Right. So that's pretty common sense, right? You know that this can happen by putting it into the muscle, so stay out of the muscle. However, um, it's not that easy. I've done a lot of liposuction, and although I know where the tip of the cannula is and you know you know where you are, the it can be very easy to really, really quickly accidentally, you know, put the cannula into the, right, into, right into the, slip a little bit. Wow. You can see how it can happen. 
Um, and even after the, all those recommendations were made, there has still been about 10 deaths in the South Florida area since wow. 2019 mm. of women undergoing Brazilian wow. butt lifts. And they're wow. going to like reputable doctors and everything. Oh, I, knows, I can't, who knows? But you know, some of the deaths have been by reputable board certified wow. plastic surgeons. By anyone. So just recently, um, this May of, of the 2022, the Florida Board of Medicine met and they realized even after these recommendations, these mandates that we put out saying you have to inject fat in the subcutaneous plane, after all of the talk that's been going on and all of the meetings and everyone knows about it, we're still having deaths and it's still happening. So what do we do now? So they put a mandate out um, just recently. This just happened uh, that that now plastic surgeons cannot do more than three Brazilian butt lifts in a day because they think that maybe fatigue, if you're doing more than three in a day, oh my you'll, you're more fatigued and therefore maybe a little bit less careful. Oh, wow. You know, because fatigue affects yes, us all. It's harder course. to, you know, if you're on your seventh patient right. and you're operating at, if you started operating at 7 a.m. and now you're, you're right. operating at 7 p.m., maybe you're not as, you know, on alert. the ball mm -hmm. and you're not as alert. The second thing that they said is that you have to use ultrasound. So ultrasound oh, while idea. you're doing the injection that is to show idea. that the cannula it's is not. in the subcutaneous plane above the, the muscle yeah, outside. And you have to actually document that your the, the ultrasound results and put it in the patient's chart. Oh, so wow. it has to be there. Wow, that's good for the patient. That is though. It's good for the patient. Is it hard to do to do ultrasound while you're doing it? I guess you have an ultrasound tech. No, there. you do it yourself do because yourself. you have to have a you have to have like a wow. sterilized probe sheath that you put over the probe so that your probe is sterilized. You mm -hmm. can use in the operating room. It's not hard. It definitely takes more time. It, it's gonna yeah. slow yeah. down your procedure. You know, you're you're every you're doing a lot of passes to put mm. all this fat in and you're 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 doing you know you're trying to sculpt a whole a whole butt so it's going to take you more time and it's going to be more tedious mm -hmm. and some practitioners will say hey i've been doing this for x amount of years i haven't had this complication i know where the cannula is i know how to stay safe why mm -hmm. do i have to do this oh, so wow. there can be there is some frustration from a lot of people in the community that are saying you know this is going to hurt my my bottom line my my business model right. why you know why should I be punished for so and so bad technique or, mm. or whatever reason? But so, it only takes one time to have some accident happen yeah. or something to go wrong. So it's just a good safety feature, I think, for for yeah. patients. It's about that time in our podcast where we're going to hit pause because we have something really exciting that we want to share with you. We wrote a book together. That's right. It's called A Bond That Lasts Forever. And basically it's how we got this close and how you can too. It goes over all of our life's ups and downs, our struggles and obstacles and became as close as we are today. We share tips and quotes and actionable steps on how you can create your own ideal relationship. We even share photos on us throughout the years so you can see us on a whole different new level. <laughs> it's so, so true. Anyway, we loved writing this book, but we hope that you love reading it just as much or maybe even a little bit more. Anyways, you can pick up the book at abondthatlastforever.com. You can get it at Walmart, on Amazon, at Barnes and Nobles, or wherever you, you get, get your, your books. books. Hey, you're stealing my life. <laughs> Anyways, we hope you love reading it now. Let's get back to the podcast. I think so. You know, I, I have to say that for all I've 
researched about this. Uh, I didn't. I haven't done too many of these. I'm not an expert in Brazilian butt lifts, um, so I so I can't say that I would feel so comfortable doing it without ultrasound. I think ultrasound's great. Yeah, I think why so not? too. Why not? I think ex extra an extra safety. safety measure isn't isn't the worst thing. Um, if I was a patient, I might want to talk to my plastic surgeon and say how how do you plan on doing this you know even outside of florida where the mm -hmm. mandate is not is not to use ultrasound and it's not and it's left up to the practitioner if you're interested in getting a brazilian butt lift i would definitely talk to my plastic surgeon make sure i have a board certified plastic surgeon that's used to doing this and talk to them and see see what they say about this because it is definitely a risk and you know you're going in for cosmetic surgery you don't want to not yeah. be able to go home after your surgery. Right. Oh my gosh. That's something. This is, I feel like you're going to like blow so many listeners' minds with this because so many people think it's just cosmetic surgery. You're just making my butt bigger, like no big deal. Right. But like there's a huge risk there. Well, any surgery has risk. Every, and, yeah, that's true. You know, still. We, we hate to say it, but any surgery has the risk of death involved. Mm -hmm. If you're, so if you are going in for even the smallest surgery, the complications can happen and mm -hmm. you never know. But right. one in 3,000, which is, it's probably at this time less than that. Um, I think it's probably more safe than one in 3,000 mm -hmm. because we've been talking about it so much and there's been so much um, discussion about this risk, but it's still a pretty high risk of, of, of a fatal complication in what should be a routine procedure. Wow. With filler, can any of that happen, or it's less likely? So, probably possible, even still, yeah. if you're to put the filler yeah. in. Um, filler is smaller than fat, typically. The, the droplets of the filler that you put in is smaller. But if you, a lot of the problem is, is that some people are getting not uh, medical grade filler. They're not getting right. what I've is. I've heard about that. I heard a woman lost her legs. Because they put in like cement or something in her butt. It's very sad. It's very sad. Oh, I've heard that too. Or, it's or terrible. Or terrible. And you can never get that removed, or it's so hard to get Ugh. that removed once they put in that horrible fake like tire, whatever. Who it is. knows what yeah. it is? Sometimes it's just silicone liquid, free silicone. Sometimes it's medical grade silicone. Yeah. Sometimes oh it's cement. I, yeah, you don't even terrible. know what it is. Yeah. These are performed by not not plastic surgeons, right. people who have no right doing wow. this to people, and they're taking advantage of people. We see this a lot in the transgender population who get taken advantage of, and it's very sad because once you have this stuff put in, it goes everywhere. It tracks along the tissue planes, and it, and it spreads, and Ugh. it almost is impossible to get out. Right. And the patients are so unhappy, and it's a shame. Wow. Right. You know, you brought up something also how they only want, they are only allowing to do three a day because they don't want the, the doctor to be fatigued or tired. I, I've heard also that with plastic surgery, a lot of they a lot of people, a lot of patients are looking into doctors that don't do so many procedures in a day, like one right after the other after the other, because then then mishaps happen and, and they're not because they're, sure they're doing everything. so many in a day that right. they get exhausted and that's where mistakes happen. So they look for like plastic surgeons that don't do so many procedures in one day. Look, we're human just like any everyone else. And the more work you do, the more 
energy you put into your day, the harder it is to keep that prime level of focus. And, right. it, you know, you don't know what's going on with a person each individual day, right. especially with sometimes doctors are on call the night before. Sometimes, you know, we have fa- our own family issues. So right. it, I can't say, you know, morning surgery versus afternoon surgery and uh-huh. what's what's the best route to go. Right. But, but maybe there is something to be said about doing less surgery in a day. Mm-hmm. How do you find the right surgeon for you? Like, do you have any recommendations? It's a great question. So if you're looking to have plastic surgery, you should always go to a, a board-certified plastic surgeon through the American Society of Plastic Surgery. Um, they'll be able to display that they're, and proudly will tell you that they're a board-certified plastic surgeon. Um, and there is a real difference because the, the certification process takes a lot of work, and it's, and it's a very difficult and mm-hmm. so a definitely board certified plastic surgeon. I would recommend probably going to someone who does that procedure frequently, someone who does it maybe once a week or, or twice a week even. And it's not somebody who's only done it like once in the past six months mm-hmm. um, to get that best result. And somebody who's probably been doing it for a while. So, yeah. you know, a couple years into, into training. And then you also want to make sure that that person is, has a good relationship with you. You like mm-hmm. the person that's going to be operating on you. And you trust them because it right. is a process. And there has to be a lot of trust that you put into your surgeon yeah. who is going to be taking you through this process of changing your body to how you and them feel like it should look afterwards. I do believe you have to have that connection with the um, physician and really believe in the physician Mm -hmm. understanding what you want versus what they can give to you Mm -hmm. and have that relationship because you are going under the knife so you have to feel comfortable with the surgeon that's going to do it yeah I totally agree well I want to play a little game with you Uh, a little fact or fiction and you can tell us what's true and what's not because I we are constantly hearing all of these things on the internet about like especially like on Instagram TikTok about things that are like real and I don't know if I always believe them and I feel like I have you on today and you'll be able to give all of our listeners and us the real truth. Does that sound okay with you? All right, I'll do my best. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> it's it's okay, all right, all right. Fact or fiction, wearing a bra to bed prevents sagging boobs. Fiction. Breasts oh. sag over time due to gravity, due to volume loss, um, for whatever reason that might be, hormones changes, oh. menopause. Oh. Sorry, Don. Uh, uh, and and weight loss, yeah. weight gain. Uh, sometimes but not wearing a bra. That's so interesting. I always thought that wearing a bra yeah. helps it. You know, keeps it a little bit longer from the gravity. That yeah. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Gravity always wins. Doesn't matter what bra you wow. wear. But I will say that if you do have very large breasts, I'm talking like forty double D, triple D. F, those mm-hmm. large, large breasts. Wearing a bra at night mm-hmm. that's well-fitting might be more comfortable for you. It can help support you, support you more. I don't think it's going to prevent sagging, but it definitely might give you some comfort and help you feel better while you sleep. Wow. So interesting. Okay. I have one. Can I do oh, yeah, one? yeah. So um, does filler stretch the skin? Yes and no. So if you put a, a small amount of filler, if you're very conservative with filler, your skin naturally has elastic properties so that once the filler goes away, it can snap back into place. But if you're getting a lot of filler, 
put in and you're getting it done frequently, you're going to stretch the skin so much that it just is unable to get back. You're going to expand the skin. Mm. And once it's expanded and go undergoes those changes, then it's unable to snap back after so much expansion. Because I notice a lot of young girls say a very big thing is lip fillers. I mm. mean, everyone's getting the lips done. So... It, they they should be careful because when it dissolves, the lips will look all like with wrinkles around them. Well, the truth is, is that if you're putting a lot, a lot of filler in your lips and you really want that augmented look, you might need to continue putting filler in to keep up with that, that look that you want. Because once the filler goes away, and maybe it won't all completely dissolve, but a majority of it will dissolve over, you know, three to six months, however long the manufacturer says, depending on what you're getting, uh, your lip is, your skin is now expanded, and it's going to start sagging. It's, mm -hmm. it's going to start falling, and, and you're going to have an elongated lip, and it's just unfortunate. And a long, oh, wow. Wow. So I also heard a big thing today is people are doing lip, lip lifts. Yes, lip lifts are, are common. Right. Um, as you age, the length between your nose, the tip of your nose and your the, the middle point of your lip, which is your cupid's bow, does tend to increase over time. And there is a difference between a youthful 30-year-old lip and a 60-year-old lip. And so... Oh, uh, one procedure that is done is a lip lift where you basically are cutting some of the skin out. It has to, that procedure can look very good, but it also has to be done perfectly because right. mm. the scar can be very visible right. if, oh, if not done perfectly or even if it is done perfectly, you know, so because if the scar can be prominent and then you have this big prominent scar on the center of your face. And also, like, if you take too much, you can't, like, Close your lips very well. Right? Uh, well, once again, <laughs> it, it'll careful. stretch, and uh, uh, okay. and uh, gravity does always win over time. So but yes, if you in the yeah. immediate period, if you take too much, it, you might you might so be too tight. Interesting. Okay, next one. Botox can be used as a preventative. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, what Botox does is it it basically temporarily paralyzes or weakens the muscles that cause the wrinkles in our face, especially those what we call dynamic wrinkles, which are caused by the muscles. Some wrinkles are dynamic, which means they're caused by muscles, and some wrinkles are static, which means that they're, they're nothing, nothing will change them. It's just over time. But those that are caused by muscle movement, if you get the muscles weakened and temporarily paralyzed, and especially if you're doing it frequently, uh, it will prevent the formation or at least the the worsening, the deepening of those wrinkles and lead to um, less of a deep wrinkle over time. I've definitely seen patients that on spots where they ask me to do their Botox, uh, the wrinkles don't come back as strong. Mm -hmm. And then I'll see them maybe a couple years later and the wrinkles that I, the, the spots that I never did have much worse wrinkles than they did, than I, than mm -hmm. they did before. And then I'll do a, one or two treatments on them and then they'll come back and the wrinkles won't be as, as bad. So mm -hmm. if it's the muscles that are causing the wrinkles, then yes, Botox can be preventative. Mm. Is there, there's so many, there's a few different Botox formulas. There's well, the like Discord, Discord, Zoom in. Right. Is there yeah. one better than the other or they all do the job? All pretty similar. Right. Um, different practitioners have different preferences. Mm -hmm. A lot of it really depends on the representative, your workings with the company and, and pro provider preference, but they're all pretty similar. 
Um, I will say that if you have an egg allergy, you can't have Dysport. Oh, so interesting. some people that do have an egg allergy can't really? have Dysport because of that. the way it's it's uh, made. But other than that, they're all pretty similar. And one other question about that. <laughs> Can you get Im- immune to it? I mean, using it for so many years where your body just doesn't take to it anymore. Can that work if you start? I mean, I know a lot of young girls nowadays are, are using the Botox, like you said, for preventative. But if you start so young, by the time you're 50 or 60, will you still will it still work for you? So the basic research does show that if you're getting these treatments done more frequently than every three months. So you say you got it done a month ago and you want to go get it again and you're getting the same thing done. You're getting the same Botox uh, syringe placed in the same spots. Then your body is more likely to make antibodies and therefore the antibodies that your body makes will more quickly neutralize the Botox toxin, which was what causes the temporary paralysis. And that will lead to less of an effect. So that's why the the recommendation is that you do not get these done in uh, uh, intervals less frequently than every three months. So three months at a minimum before getting another one done. If you get Botox and then maybe you do it too often and then maybe you become immune to Botox, you may be able to do Dysport or Xeomin um, because they're slightly different, but it might always be somewhat less effective. You know, I'm not exactly sure. Interesting. So interesting. Yes. That is interesting. Uh, Okay. Running causes your face to sag. Yes, but not for the reason you th- reasons you think. Why why do you think that running causes your face to sag? Cuz of like the pressure. The like, pounding, when I'm running I'm like Ugh. my face is like, you know, moving yeah, up and moving, down like the gravity. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you would say, but it's not it's probably not because of that. It's more likely because when you're running, you're getting a lot of sun exposure. And sun exposure leads to skin damage, and skin damage leads to worsened skin and, and more likely skin sagging, especially on the exposed areas like your mm-hmm. face. Also, runners are who run frequently uh, tend to have some weight loss and tend to be thinner. And just like with your breasts, if you have a loss of volume and volume loss leads to deflation, which will lead to sagging. So wow, people who are okay. running. So <laughs> twist. So definite twist right there. So always wear yeah. your sunscreen. Yes, definitely. Okay, next one. Fact or fiction. Waist trainers make your waist actually skinnier. Fiction. Total mm-hmm. fiction. So they may look skinnier huh. while you're wearing the waist trainer. You may look thinner while you're wearing your Spanx or your, or your Faja, which a lot of the women like the Fajitas, mm-hmm. you know, as they say. But when you take them off, you're going to go back to normal. You're, it's not... So interesting. Your, your body won't, uh, won't permanently be thin. And, right. I, like sometimes they show it, like you wear this every day for a long time, and then it's supposed to like change your waist. That's fiction. So... It, I will say that in somebody who had surgery, like a tummy tuck or liposuction to the abdomen, the wearing the compression garments will cause lymphatic a mm. massage type picture and will will push a demonis fluid out of that area and may improve swelling. But that's after surgery to remove the fat. Mm-hmm. Just putting a waist trainer on, something that causes compression, won't kill the fat cells in itself. Your body is just going to go back to its normal state wow. once you remove the, the waist trainer. So that's wow. probably the same thing you would say about if you heard of like nose 
to make the nose than these oh, nose yeah, clippers. Nose clippers. <laughs> she had that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to make it thinner, and you put it on to mold the nose. All right, Judy Garland. <laughs> Judy Garland over here is going over the rainbow. But no, the the nose the nose clips don't work. They don't work. They they don't work same for the same guy. reason. Your body will always go back to its normal state, no matter what crazy stuff we do to it. I'm actually happy to hear that because I tried a waist trainer and it really hurts your back after a while. It is not comfortable at all. Why would you try? Well, I just like it was everyone was doing it, so I tried it. It's not comfortable. I didn't buy one, but women go through a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on you guys. It's tough out there. It is really tough out there. I'm glad that you understand. <laughs> okay, can um, can ear prominence be fixed non-surgically? You know how you see sometimes people with like more like the Mickey Mouse ears, they say, that go out? Yes, but only if it's done at a very early age. And when I mean early age, I mean within the first two weeks of life. Wow. So wow. when you're born, you the, for the first week or so, you have a lot of estrogen in your body from the mother. And that estrogen allows your cartilage, which is what makes up the floppiness of your ears and your nose as well, um, to be more malleable. So it's wow. you're able to form it and change the shape into how you desire. But after about two weeks, maybe three weeks tops, the estrogen leaves your body and the effect is is no longer. Your cartilage may be malleable, maybe you may be able to deform it, but just like everyone else, it goes right back into place. So, so non-surgically, I would say no after about two to three weeks. So you so really need to catch that very early if yeah. you feel that your baby's ears are a little bit more prominent to tape it or do something like that. If you see that you're, or you feel that you, your baby has very prominent ears, I would consult with your pediatrician about possibly referring to a plastic surgeon to talk to about what, what your options are. Because not every deformed ear or misshapen ear can be fixed non-surgically, but some can. Wow. So interesting. So wow. Interesting. Yes. So you gotta be very aware of those first weeks of life. Yes, very aware. So interesting. Okay, last but not least, um, you can have surgery without it leaving a scar afterwards. Totally false. I can't tell you how many patients come in and they say, I want this done, but I don't want any scar. How are you going to give me no scar? <laughs> that I, would be my mom over here. <laughs> exactly. Literally. And I tell them that's impossible. Any surgery you do is going to leave a scar. Even if you have like a little bump or a lipoma or a mole, I always tell patients, look, you're trading a bump for a scar. You're going to have yeah. a scar here. It's my job to try and give you the best looking scar possible, right. but you're going to have a scar. It's There's no way. What plastic surgeons do is they try and give you a thin, fine scar, and they try to hide it in your normal shadows and your normal creases of your skin to try and make it less noticeable. But giving you no scar, no way. And I also heard it's the post-op treatment. It's how well you, you as a patient, takes care of that scar. Like you're putting it on the, the ointment that the plastic surgeon recommends and, and really being diligent about it, that how the scar will heal. Yeah, so a lot of people will come and they'll say, hey, um, what should I put on my scar? And for the first couple of weeks, I typically say something like bacitracin or, or triple antibiotic ointment, as long as you're not allergic to anything that's inside the, the ointment. And then after a couple of weeks, when the skin has totally healed, then the data has really shown that the only thing that can help prevent 
prevent the formation of hypertrophic and keloid scars, which is what most right. patients, you know, are deadly worried about, is silicone gel, silicone-based gel, or silicone taping. For a mechanism that's not completely understood, there's some theories of why that that works, but the data shows that that can help in the early phases. I'm talking like from one month to maybe six to, to 10 months when the scar is maturing, that can help prevent a hypertrophic or keloid scar, especially in patients who are, who are more prone to that. Um, a scar matures up until a year. So a, the scar always is going to look the worst as it does after immediately after surgery, and it's only going to get better. So, you know, you can't really judge a, uh, your surgeon on how your scar looks until one year after surgery. And don't wow. you agree, always never have any sun exposure to a scar when you, after surgery? Totally. <laughs> I, you know, sunscreen is key for your skin in general, but especially operative areas because yes. nothing's going to make that, that scar look more red and angry than, than a full day of the sun. So sunscreen is always a must. That's why I like using that, the silicone tape because it covers the scar as well as oh, giving you that silicone that's effect. That's interesting. Yeah. That is oh, really that's very interesting. interesting. Can you still use that after a year or by that time? It's you can, late. you know, I tell patients use it until you, until you get sick of using it, but you can, but so I think that, that after a year or so about, the mm -hmm. scar has fully matured. Is the silicone tape over the counter or is it a prescription? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, over the counter. Oh. You can buy lots of different places. Oh, so interesting. interesting. Wait, okay. I have one more major question I need your honest opinion for. Okay. What plastic surgery do we need? Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's, you saved a lot. The hardest question for last. Okay. All right. Let me just take a quick look at you guys. <laughs> All right. I think you guys are in definite need of cuteness reduction surgery. Because <laughs> you're just too cute. You're just well too cute. And this is why I keep him around, ladies and gentlemen. No, Jared, this was such a great podcast. Like, so, so informative, yes, so interesting. I, I love, love I love seeing I you. Yes, I like, in this I love this way. topic. I know. Too. I can literally right my talk alley. for so long about this. And it's so cool because you're my husband, but like, you're also like, oh, such a cute plastic surgeon. You're like so good. <laughs> well, such it. a brilliant He's so smart. Surgeon. It's you're very sexy. Yeah. Like, very, you're very intelligent. Well, we'll yeah. talk more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyways, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Wonderful. Thank you, Chattermouths. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Wait, before you go, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. It means the world to us. Yes, we read every single review and we love hearing your thoughts. And if you think that one of your friends will enjoy this episode too, then please share it with them or share it on social media and tag us and we promise to reshare. Anyways, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.